When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ayo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox postgame show presented by PointsBet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get tourist-free bets up to $2,000. Welcome into Studio B in our CHGO offices. I'm the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. And alongside me, as always, is my man, Herb Lawrence. Hello. Follow him on Twitter at Eckerwall23. He's the CHGO White Sox community leader. We are coming to you after the first pitch from Papa Emerus, the fourth of Ghost. Uh, they also played baseball. The White Sox lost 4-2 to to the Guardians, effectively getting swept in the largest series of their season. And do you care, Herb? No. They don't care. No, not at all. I mean, Cleveland absolutely dog-walked the White Sox this year. Uh, embarrassing fashion for the White Sox, losing the series, I think, 12 games to seven. And a thing in a series where the White Sox needed to sweep, they get swept at the crib, and Cleveland <laughs> cheers on the field. Um, hey, if you don't like it, stop them next time. If you don't like what the Cleveland Guardians do and how they cheer these victories and how they hustle, how they play every game like it's their last, how about you take a page out of their book? And do the same thing. You could see the disgust or the the praise that uh, Connor McKnight and Jason Benetti are giving the Cleveland Guardians, as if it's like a backhanded uh, insult to the White Sox. Man, Cleveland hustle every time they hit a ball in the infield. They beat it out. The last inning, I think it was uh, not the last inning. It was like the eighth inning. Oscar Gonzalez hits a tailor made double play. And the White Sox don't get it because Oscar Gonzalez hustles down the line and gets the job done, uh, forcing uh, the White Sox only get the force play at second. So I am very jealous of Cleveland fans, very jealous of their whole organization because they think do things the right way, and the White Sox are not that team. And it's very sad to go through the last 12 games that we have to see this dead-ass team play the last 12 games well as we mentioned this show is brought to you by points bet use promo code chgo and you sign up to get two or three bets of two thousand dollars and it's not that miserable for me because nope. i won 42 dollars today um i bet on the white Sox to not hit a home run which actually happened uh gavin sheets hit a solo shot because the white Sox love a fake rally herb yep. the white Sox were out of this game completely there it is right um, there on the they, board they had a pretty competitive uh you know first inning but outside of that Shane Bieber did Shane Bieber things, but I bet Pollock, Vaughn, Jimenez, Andrews, Abreu, Grandal, and Moncada not to hit a home run, and I won uh, $20 on that, so I'm very excited about that, I'm and I sure. also bet Shane Bieber to get a win, so I'm having a nice night here. I turned 20 into 40. I bet you you were very nervous initially in that first inning where Jose Abreu goes down right field and almost leaves the yard right there and only gets a double. Yes, sir. Uh, that one was a wall scraper, but here's the thing. He went opposite field, which is the White Sox' biggest issue this entire year. 
hitter is, you know, having all that power to, to right field. It's not bad because the White Sox end up scoring a run in that inning due to Jose Abreu's uh, double. But for my bet, it was a, a sphincter tightener, mm. as uh, what I think Dan Bernstein or Jim Margulis say, uh, usually says. Uh, that one was a, a very close call, uh, but it did not get over. And Gavichis is the only one that was uh, leaving the yard for the Sox tonight. Um, Shane Bieber just worked. Uh, do you have the starting pitcher graphic ready, Stephen? It looked like you finished it. Okay, 15 seconds. Um, Shane Bieber worked tonight. Uh, he ran into a little bit of issue late in that game with the Gavin Sheets home run, uh, and then there was a double as Yon well uh, from Yon Moncada, and they ended up going to Stefan, and then Abreu struck out swinging. But Shane, Shane Bieber did basically what Tristan McKenzie did last night and just threw strikes to the White Sox, and they could do nothing against that. And uh, a little less effective because uh, Tristan McKenzie had the 13 strikeouts, right. but, you know, just it worked. You know, the White Sox took him out of the yard with the Gavin Sheets home run, and Jose Abreu does what Jose Abreu does usually versus Shane Bieber, which is hit him hard. And then you get the RBI single by Aloy Jimenez. And the first thing I was like, all right, maybe some things are changing. But, of course, before that it all happened, though Johnny Cueto gets two outs in the first inning, and then the Guardians get a run somehow because they bunt in a run mm-hmm. because of the goddamn Guardians. Yeah, Andres Jimenez pushes a bunt uh, past Johnny Cueto, and then uh, Yohan Moncada tries to pick it up, drops the ball completely. Uh, it wasn't as bad as last night's nope. Moncada issues. Um, it was just more of, well, Steven's making a face back there. I don't think that was really on Moncada. I think Cueto needs to bail out no, no, and I, let the better fielder take it's that. Just, I just because hate that we're talking about this for a second straight day. Like, be better, man. Yeah, but, but, I don't, but they the don't one care. One thing he's had going for him has been his defense, defense this year. Yeah. And then the last two games and. Must win games, even though it's it's done. Let's just call it what it is. We see this in the first inning. Twice. Right. Three times, I, really, even two days. I, I can't have anger at this point. Sure. We, I, I mean, I, I Tuesday, I think I, I screamed a blood vessel, a vessel out of my head. But as Herb said, I mean, they were five games back coming into this series. Now they're seven games. Or they were four games back. Now they're seven games back and have lost three straight. Uh, a team that... Had a positive run differential. What was that during the uh, A's series? Um, Ooh, for, for like a half an inning. For a half an inning uh, is now at negative 11. It's just the White Sox don't care. I don't care at this point. This season is just 12 games left, and, and it's over, folks. It's been over. Yesterday was the killer. Mathematically, it's not over, but it's done. I mean, and, and they know it's done, or they at least want it to be over. And I bet some people already have vacation plans. They should. Hope they go nice, somewhere nice, you know. Maybe they're going to see Ghost BC. I mean, next weekend, the White Sox are traveling to San Diego. If you are a White Sox fan, want to see a world-class city with a ballpark and a team that competes and will be in the playoffs this this year, have a good vacation in San Diego next week to end off your September to begin your October. It's always a great place to be, and I would love to be out there uh, next week. But, you know, since the White Sox are not going to be competing, I'm not going to go out there to the ballpark in San Diego. But... If you guys want to enjoy some time out there, I'm sure flights are nice and cheap right now, and uh, the tickets are going to be uh, hard to come by. But if you can't go to the game, enjoy time in San Diego. Yeah, you. Hey, it'd be great weather. I mean, weather right here is nice right now. I, I don't. I'm, nice I like weather. It's Chicago weather. If if you're taking vacation right now. Uh, during Chicago weather, I think it's the wrong time. Other guy, Sleepy um, Harold said, "I've had diarrhea that's been more pleasant than this White Sox season." <laughs> I didn't want to say it um, just because it was gross. I mean, but he's right. No truer words have been spoken. Um, I want to go to Cardinals pet to zero cat from ghost here saying, are we still talking about ghost? But of course, this we is are. White Sox post game slash ghost post game. It's White Sox ghost game. Yeah, let's let's get into White Steven. Sox ghost game. Very much like that, Stephen. Uh, it's the ghost post as well. Um 
let's just tell you, Jimenez reached on a bunt single to third. That was the Cueto thing. That's how they scored their first run. Jimenez singled to left after the Abreu double that Herb mentioned, and that made it 1-1. to Then Ramirez hit a sack fly. Rosario scored, making it 2-1 to on the top of the third. Then Quan tripled to deep right, scoring Miles Shaw, making it 3-1 to on the top of the fifth. Then Ramirez hit another sack fly to left, scoring Quan, making it 4-1, to and then Sheets homered to make it 4-2. to Nothing really boring. stood out. Uh, very boring game. Not a lot of highlights except for when we were doing the pregame show and usually we have about like 40 people watching and it's usually a consistent crew and yeah. we, we know our guys Shatrack Bobby's usually in there uh hanging out and then just a flood of people start coming in and yeah. I think we topped out at 94 viewers in the pregame show so 94 people like were in there watching live yeah yes watching live and the comments were flooded with stands for ghost so if you didn't see, the first pitch today was thrown out by Papa, and I want to make sure I'm saying this name correctly because I don't know if I'm saying it it's correctly. Emeritus, right? Is it Emeritus? Yeah. Is it is it Emeritus or am I just stupid? Emeritus. Emeritus. So yeah. Papa Emeritus the fourth threw out the fourth uh, the first pitch today, um, and he is the lead singer of Ghost, the metal front band from Sweden. So if we can watch the first pitch, uh, Stephen, that would be fantastic from our guy. Papa Emeritus the fourth. And don't worry, podcast people. We will uh, do the play-by-play on it so yes. you can hear it, too. In, A uh, little mystery science theater, theater for you. Exactly. Go ahead, Stephen. So here we go. He's wearing number four because he's Papa Emeritus the fourth. He's also the same guy. He has a glove on with the baseball in it, and he's wearing a full White Sox uniform, home whites with the pinstripes. And he takes a bat out there, and he flips the bat once he gets on the top of the mound. And he has a leather hat on, and he's got his full face paint happening. But he's not wearing the robe or anything, the garb that he's traditionally wearing on stage. Here's the pitch, throws it over. Liam catches it, um, but it was definitely going to miss the plate, and it was in the left tanders batters box um but he's in a full white Sox uniform yes head to toe with the number four looks like he has cleats he has a stirrups on and this is a, a swedish band so he is from sweden and for him to throw that ball as he did pretty impressive i mean it's not his first sport i'm sure they don't play a lot of baseball in sweden was like dave nielsen i don't think he was swedish i think he was australian but that sounds like a swedish slash uh name up there uh, i think he was a more of australian but they don't play baseball up in Sweden. So for a guy who would never thrown a baseball before, that's not the worst first pitch I've ever seen. It's a pretty good one, uh, especially since he didn't grow up playing the game, I assume, in Sweden. Nice mechanics. Yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty smooth. It wasn't It wasn't janky. They sh- showed, uh, sh- they uh, flashed a different first pitch from earlier because usually they have the two first pitchers. Yeah. Um, guy completely missed the, the, the strike zone, completely threw it in the other batter's box, bounced past Liam. So if we're ranking on the two first pitches we saw today, Papa Emeritus the fourth, clear win here. And we listened to some ghost songs. You going to check out more ghosts after we heard uh, Year Zero? But of course, I'm on the drive home. I'm going to listen <laughs> to the best of ghosts. Just let that play. And if it is like uh, Sean's Great Tusk, I will turn it off after four songs. Oh, boy. Uh, so let's. Uh, is the feed blurry? Uh, do we have to adjust the camera? I don't know what's going on. No, with I, that. I really look like this. Ryan, Ryan. Ryan K said that. I think it's honestly just like this is just very, 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 very white. Um, and I think that's the only thing that's screwing it up. It just says nothing matters. I have this does. white too. Um, yeah, I think it's just the white stuff uh, on the actual podcast. But um, let's go to Lollapalooza 2013 because my. What's. Uh, would have been 16. No. Okay. Oof, young. 
I would have been, yeah, 16, 16 years old, 15 actually, because it was before my birthday. So I was 15 years old going to Lollapalooza in 2013. Uh, why my mom allowed it, I don't know. Um, but Ghost BC, you could see on the left at Bud Light there, uh, they played after 21 Pilots. So 21 Pilots ended at three, and that's what 15-year-old me wanted to see. And then all of my group of friends after seeing 21 Pilots were like, ah, yeah, that was great. That was the greatest concert I've ever seen after seeing two concerts in my whole life. And then... You guys sound like that? We Yeah, that's what we sounded like back then. And then we walked over to the Bud Light stage, which is you know very close to the Grove, which where uh, 21 Pilots was playing. And here is Ghost in his full face paint garb and everything. And like I said, like, you know, if you're standing, you know, hundred yards away from him watching his concert. It feels like he's 10 feet away from you. Uh, it, very odd that we got mobbed by those people. And you talked about it, like the international reach the Sox have been having. Cascade. Uh, we had uh, Daddy Yankee yeah. <laughs> in the building. We had uh, Ghost as well. And I think um, Tim Anderson had a guy uh, Oh, um, earlier on in the season. Is it, uh, little, little Baby? Dirk, little Dirk? Little Dirk is from here, I believe. Little Baby is from Georgia. I think Little Dirk was at the game too, though. Oh, okay. They probably both sure. were here, but because he likes both of them. But um, did you stay for Queens of the Stone Age or Nine Inch Nails? I did not. Ugh. I don't think. Um, is that a bad mistake by me? Sixteen year old Sean was an idiot. Oh, I mean, sixteen year old Sean was an idiot. That I mean, year was really bad for me. Uh, no one knows why Sean was a, an idiot and left before Queens of the Stone Age played. Oh no! Well, that yeah, no, that day I had to go see. Um, I did see Father John Misty. Um, which was was great. I love Father that. John Misty. Um, but then uh, New Order. I saw New Order uh, at six fifteen. Then I saw the Killers at eight twenty five. So I had to be at the other end of Grant Park. I wasn't with uh, Queens and, and Nine Inch Nails because I was probably afraid of Nine Inch Nails. So you're saying you weren't closer to Nine Inch Nails? I was not closer. Um, Give you two songs right there. None, nothing. I hope someone got it. I know what closer is. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, I know what you meant. I, and and then uh, you know it, it did hurt. Thank you, Johnny Cash. Thank you. Um, I, I know more than that too, but I just right. I never got into Trent Reznor a ton. It's just too like dark and moody. It's pretty good music. He's a he, a Grammy award winning uh artist now. He's wrote a couple scores for movies. He's a he's a genius, as the kids would say. Yes. Uh, let's go to and uh, no one knows. Also, uh, look I, at Chirac. I, I, he knows. Little Baby's from Atlanta. Little Dirk is from Southside. I knew. And that. I, I think Little Dirk was like. April or something. I, I'm pretty sure he was around throwing a first pitch or anything. Um, people asking, J Jerry will never play, pay for DeGrom. Um, we were kind of talking about untouchables here. Uh, first off, Sox aren't signing DeGrom. Nope. Sox aren't signing Aaron Judge. Nope. Uh, just, just isn't happening. Well, I, saw, I saw on some different bad uh, sports book, I saw an offshore one that is illegal. Um, nine to one odds for the White Sox to sign Aaron Judge next year. I laughed my ass off when I saw that. I will say... Future White Sox Aaron Judge. Now, I just said future White Sox. They'll come in 10 years from now. 46-year-old Lou, uh, who, who's the Lou guy? Ford. Lou Ford. Or 46-year-old Aaron Judge will be on the White Sox. Uh, still kicking it. Uh, yeah, I just I just don't think it's going to happen. But the ideas of untouchables have come up now, basically, that the season is over. Mm -hmm. Who do you think is a true untouchable on the White Sox, if there is any? None. There's zero untouchables. On a team that is going to get close to 500, there's zero untouchables. There's one. No, there isn't. If you are going to say Dylan Cease, I was. Then, you're gonna, then I will say Shohei Itani. If the Angels say, hey, Shohei Itani is available, we want Dylan Cease. And I would say, once you said Shohei Itani, I've already hit the button. Stop. Once you sold, stop selling. <laughs> hit it. 
That's the button I would hit. Yes, yeah, Dylan Cease is not an untouchable. He's great, and he might win the Cy Young. He might. He's definitely going to finish in the top five. But every single other player on that team can be moved. Now, do I want them to be moved? No. But there's no untouchable in this White Sox team. None. Not in my opinion. You, you, Sean? So you and Tanny used to always say, like, it needs to hurt for a trade to be good. Correct. And I think that it would be difficult to trade Dylan Cease because getting the right package for him for a player that has three more years of arbitration left will be cheap under control. Like if that player was hitting the free agent market, he'd be getting a huge contract just because of his age. So I think the Sox wouldn't be able to find the right package for Dylan Cease. But what I was telling you was, I mean, it'd be really tough for me to get really emotional about any of these White Sox players leaving the team because all I care about is the team getting better. And if it is a trade to improve the team, I'm all for it. If you want to move Tim Anderson, you saw what the the Guardians got for Francisco Lindor. I understand it's sacrilege to say Tim Anderson because he's the face of the team and all of the marketing that's been put behind him, but he's getting older, right? That contract that's very, very cheap and very, very inexpensive is going to run up at some point. So if Francisco Lindor, if we want to comp it to that, I know Lindor was better switch hitter uh, at that time, but they got Jimenez and Rosario. They were able to fill in their middle infield with one trade by trading one player. If the White Sox were able to do that, I don't think I could sit here and bitch because I think that would be improving the team. If the White Sox were able to fill second base while still having a capable shortstop, I'd be fine with that. And, and I mean, Kevin Kadick was saying this earlier on the CHGO, or the Chicago Sports Podcast that Tim Anderson hasn't played a full season since 2017. True, hasn't been too noticeable outside of this year, I think. Um, but still, like, he is getting older. He did just have the worst forty game stretch that he uh, worst forty game stretch he's had in a long time yeah. uh, before he was shut down with the the sagittal banter. I wouldn't be like distraught if they traded Tim Anderson. Nope. Would I be upset, baffled, probably? But if the trade makes sense or I can make sense of it, I'd be fine. I think Tim Anderson. You, if they do trade him, and same thing. Well, Pito's a free agent, but they're on the same boat. They're both more valuable to White Sox and the White Sox fans than they would be on the open market to other teams. So if Tim Anderson does get traded, the return would be underwhelming to us because we're like, Tim Anderson's this, that, the other, and he does this, that, and the other in the community. He is Chicago. He is Southside. And people would be like, eh, well, he's this of a hitter in the rankings of, the, of uh, all the rest of the shortstops. He's a below average shortstop, and so this is the return you're going to get. And his deal's coming up in two years, so, you know, you guys will have to either supplement some of that payment or not get a return that will be good on the on the, on the backside. So White Sox fans will be like, we only got this prospect, the fourth or fifth prospect of that team, and it'll be underwhelming if we did trade Tim. So I would not see him going to another team because, like I said, he's more valuable to White Sox than any other team. But, like, people always want to trade Mancada, Grandal, or people who are not performing. It's like you're trading them for pennies on the dollar. Right. These guys will not get a lot of returns, especially Mancada, because he's going to be making a lot of money in the next two years for the deal he signed back in the day. So you're stuck with Mancada for the most part, unless he's a throw-in of a deal of a bigger player like Cease, like uh, Tim Anderson, like Andrew Vaughn. But there's nobody on this team that I would say you got to hold and hug on to 
for the rest of the time. Because if somebody comes with a solid deal for Dylan Cease, I'll say goodbye to Dylan Cease. And somebody points out, I think it was Ryan Kay, Dylan Cease is a Boris client. For the most part, Boris clients go to free agency, and he's got like three more years left on his deal. So you got to start thinking about long-term extension. And if he's not like amenable or listening to a long-term extension, you already got to think about moving him. You probably got, you know, the peek into what he's going to be. And maybe he's going to be this for the rest of his career. You you don't know because pitchers volatility from year to year. Lucas Giolito looked like a top of the league pitcher a couple of years ago. Even last year was pretty good. And now he's falling off the table. Will the White Sox think, hey, we got what we could out of uh, Dylan Cease and Alo Jimenez. That trade we won. Great job by you guys, uh, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams. But let's go and get some better prospects for these two guys. And let's move on with them because, firstly, Cease is not signing with us. Secondly, Aloy can't stay healthy. So, yeah, there's no untouchables for me. We'll continue this talk in a bit. I, I think I agree with you. I think just to, like, I, I wouldn't be against them trading Cease. They're I just back. think it'd be, like, two. They, hey, this is Xbox or back. Uh, they, hurt, they hurt us in the pregame. Oh, wow. They hurt they us in the pregame us. not, not uh, being here. We've been Darn. sad. All right. Uh, well, uh, we'll continue this untouchable talk uh, in just a second. But let's tell you about points bet. I got to tell you about points bet because I won money on points bet today. This football season, points bet's bringing you a better way to bet live on games which means before this ad's over, you can place a live same-game parlay bet. You can bet on the next drive to be a touchdown and cash out your live second-half over bet. With PointsBet, you have access to more live football markets than ever before. So if you were watching the Cleveland-Pittsburgh game, you could have put together some live bets. I still think that game is going on, too. So if you think the Steelers might be able to make a comeback, you can put some money on it live right now on PointsBet. So build the perfect live same-game parlay by combining your favorite bets anytime during the game, including spreads, totals, player props, and more. And choose the outcome of the next drive and next points with PointsBet's lightning bets. So whether you're on the move or on the couch, do it live on PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app today and sign up with code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. If you or somebody know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. Uh, And then we also have to let you know about pins and aces. Golfers, listen up. These people were introduced to us by our friends over at DNVR. They are the presenting sponsor of Big Drive Energy over at DNVR. They're the official golf apparel partner of CHGO. We love our pins and aces gear and get tons of compliments on and off the course. I don't really spend too much time on the course, but I know our guy Steven Nicholas does. Love He's always. Sleeve. He's always dressed up uh, in his pins and aces gears when he's drinking his natter days on the course. Um, They're family-owned golf apparel and business, and they make amazing polos, hats, golf bags, and even our favorite beer sleeve. It's an it's an innovative product that allows you to store seven beers right inside your golf bag and keep drinks cold the entire round. So whether you're doing the front nine, the back nine, all 18, you can have beer cold with you at every single hole. And like we've mentioned, Chicagoans like to drink. So you could probably just bring this on the train with you and you could have seven beers on the train. People on the CTA aren't going to stop you. If you pull out a beer, that's the, the probably the least harmful thing that is out currently on a CTA. Train. And just keep it in the sleeve. Right. You know, people, they're like, oh, you're just drinking sodas. Cool. There you go. Like the, all the thing they care about is you not like, you know, publicly drinking and showing it out. In the open, keeping that sleeve, you're all to the good. There you go. And uh, again, it is very innovative that allows you to store seven beers cold in your bag. So check out Pins and Aces and use code CHGO to receive 15% off your first order and get free shipping. So go to, again, pinsandaces.com. That's 
pinsandaces.com and use code CHGO to get 15% off your first order and get free shipping. Let's go out to Guaranteed Rate Field and talk to our man, Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. Vinny, how'd you enjoy tonight's first pitch? <laughs> Which one? Uh, well, I guess Ghost. Ghost. I mean, Ghost is the only one we're talking about, but uh, w- 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 explain us the, the whole first pitch experience. That scary monster. Oh, the scary monster man. Yeah. yeah. The, that, but guy's he was name, a, that guy's name has a name? That's, he's in a band called Ghost. His name mm. is... Papa Emeritus the Fourth. Yeah. But Papa Emeritus <laughs> 3, 2, and 1 are the same guy. Yeah, it, I'm, not, I'm not following... Not it's like, like different versions. It's like it's like oh, this is this is my first version, then the second version. It's like the same guy. It's just like you know, it's like different eras. You're our you're our resident music guy, and I thought that you are a big time Ghost fan, but apparently not. Did you did you think that Herb? I did. I literally found out about them in like six forty five today. Same, same. When the <laughs> when the scary when the scary monster took the field, I was like, oh, I don't know what I feel about this. I don't like this. And then but he was, was wearing a uniform. Was Didn't it look on. familiar? No, it looked very weird. Because <laughs> here's the thing. So they there was I was directed toward um, this character, uh, you know, before he came out. And he there are pictures of him online in like just the wildest, craziest yeah. costumes. And I thought it was just going to be an insane thing going on on the field. Like not dissimilar from when like the T-Rex throws out the first pitch. Um, but uh, instead it was just a guy in a White Sox uniform with a scary monster face. And uh, it was not as exciting as I thought it was. I, I wanted a little more, uh, a little more costuming. I got to be honest. And did you say uh, there was another first pitch that was of note? Oh yeah. Uh, the Catman bounced one bad. Missed Liam Hendricks real bad. Oh, oh it- lifelong Cub fan cap. David Kaplan yes. gets to throw out the first pitch. Oh, at that was White Cap. P- pit. Oh, that was Cap with the face paint on. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. But no, when they showed on the broadcast, some some bozo completely missing Liam Hendricks and throwing into left-handers batter's box. That bozo was David Kaplan. Yeah, well, yeah, he made a bad pitch, real bad pitch. Yeah, <laughs> it was real bad. Come on, David. Yeah. So wait, we were. I mean, we have the video of the ghost one, and he's a a, a Swedish front man um, who we thought has probably never played baseball in his life, and he's throwing it better than David Kaplan, who's you know Mr. NBC Sports Chicago out here. What's wrong with Take you? Take that! Take that, Cap. What's wrong with you? <laughs> That's brutal. Oh man, I thought that was just like some guy. I didn't realize that was Cap at all. Whoops. That was the capper. Yeah, and right. he, he missed bad. He 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 had Liam Hendricks go and running toward the backstop. Oh. That's brutal. All right. Uh, well, it's, let's. Too bad they don't have a, a White Sox fan on that show. Mm, that could throw out the first pitch. That's weird. Um, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you 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 worked with Chuck. I mean, could Chuck throw a better first pitch than that? I would hope so. Okay. I would hope. I would hope. I would hope Cap could throw a better first pitch. Than <laughs> um, do you want to talk about tonight's game? I mean, what was what, what was note of you? Uh, what was of note from you uh, watching that game, or maybe from uh, tonight's post game? Because the White Sox did get swept. I don't know if they were expecting to get swept, but uh, we can feel that the vibes were pretty low last night. So we weren't expecting a, a big rallying effort tonight. But uh, were, were the vibes extremely low tonight? What stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, listen, Miguel Cairo keeps getting up there and telling us every chance he can get that the season's not over, that they're not eliminated yet. And I guess that's true. But, um, you know, in, in in practice, it's it's not really the case. And uh, you can start to hear it from some of the guys talking postgame. Johnny Cueto, Gavin Sheets both spoke postgame. And Gavin Sheets basically said, you know, listen, it, it, 
it's not these three games that put us in this position. You know what I mean? It's an entire season of disappointing play that have knocked them all the way down to seven games out of first place with a dozen games left on the schedule. Um, it's it's shocking, right? I mean, go back, think to the post to the preseason, what the expectations were for this team to be in a position where they are maybe going to lose this division by double digits um, is it's crazy to think about. Uh, obviously, we've lived through the last five, six months now, and we know why, and we know that this has um, been coming. But uh, it is it is still uh, crazy if you can kind of take a step back and think about where we were in terms of our conversation about this White Sox team uh, back in spring training, and uh, they they are nowhere near where we said where we all thought they were going to be. Um, and yeah, so Gavin's right. It, it was 162 games worth of this that put them in the position that they're in. And uh, that's, that's, those are just the facts. And I think even though now they've got 12 games left, no, they're not mathematically eliminated quite yet, uh, though they're, you know, the next best thing to that or the next worst thing to that, I guess. Um, but uh, they, they, they know. They know, what the, they know what the situation is. Before you came on, Vinny, uh, Sean and I were talking about White Sox untouchables, if they are any for us. Are there any untouchables, and who are they for you going into this offseason for the White Sox? Well, I don't remember the fourth guy, but I believe it was Sean Connery, Kevin Costner, and Andy Garcia, right? <laughs> oh, great. That was awesome. That was perfect. <laughs> and Chicago, too. Awesome. I'm sorry. Um, you, you don't know? I, I know. I've heard oh the movie. God. I just oh, never Jesus. seen it. Sean. I'm sorry, guys. That was a great reference to that oh, old movie God. that I wasn't alive when it was old. made. It's like from the 90s. <laughs> I am also from the 90s. <laughs> okay, so then what are you It was 1987, about? a whole 10 years before my birth. Oof. Yeah, but you've Oof. seen all the Star Wars. Those are way the before AL your birth. Central is younger than that movie. <laughs> all right. Uh, to answer your question, Herb... Uh, I mean, I think they're in a really, really weird position. I don't think you, – you talk about untouchables and that you might think they could just go out and trade anybody. I think they're kind of boxed in with this roster. i got to be honest. I don't think there's a lot of room for movement, and I'm working on something now kind of explaining that over the – you know, and that will go up over the course of the next, you know, two weeks here as, as, as the season winds down. But, um, you know, the, the idea that they might be kind of full – at really any position besides a couple on the field, you know, when you look at the results, and especially, as I just said, compared to the expectations, you would think, all right, there's there's big changes coming, and certainly that's what the fan base wants, uh, you know, in, in reaction to the disappointment of this year. But go around the diamond and look. Yasmani Grandal's not going anywhere. No. If Jose Abreu comes back, he's a first baseman. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Anderson's not going anywhere. Uh, you're gonna try. You're gonna sell uh, Yoan Moncada at the lowest possible point you possibly could. You're gonna trade Aloy Jimenez, who is the only one of the only guys who's hit on this team this year. You're gonna you're gonna get rid of Andrew Vaughn, who's one of the two or three best hitters on this team, leads the team in home runs after a season where you couldn't score any runs. They you know what I mean? Too. Like. You, no, they have to do something. There's a logjam. Yeah. They don't have enough positions for everybody to play. But my point being, AJ Pollock's got a player option. He's coming back, right? You know, Gavin Sheets is a major league hitter. He, he, you know, uh, you know, obviously Luis Roberts not going anywhere. Like they're going to have to do something, but it's not going to be easy. And and I'm not saying that they're stuck with this roster that they've got because you can always do something, but none of it really seems attractive right now. And I'm not even just talking about the fact that um, you know, yeah, maybe the White Sox are right when they talk about injuries 
really screwing everything up and that if all these guys were healthy, maybe it'd be a totally different story. I, I mean, I buy that. I, I don't think that the full healthy team does this, certainly not to this extent. Um, and, and so they can believe that with good health, a different result is, is going to come. Uh, something's going to happen because, you know, they do need to make changes. They do need to get better in a lot of different areas. Certainly defense jumps out as being one of those. And after the year they had, how can you not try to improve the power on this team? Um, but a lot of these guys, I don't, there's not many people who are leaving. A lot of these people are under contract. And to say that you're going to go uh, create a an entirely different looking team by just getting rid of trading everybody and stuff like that, it's not going to be easy. That's not an easy thing to do. And I don't think that I don't think that doing so is is really a realistic situation. I don't think this thing's getting blown up. Um, and part of that is because they really can't. And the other part of it is because this is what the plan was. This was the rebuild was to do this, was to have this team um, and that they don't ha- that they that they haven't experienced it, uh, the winning that was supposed to come with it yet doesn't mean that they won't. Um, but these are the guys they've invested in. They've already spent money on these players. Right. And I don't really see them just saying, oh, well, throw it away, add another hundred million dollars to bring in a bunch of new players. Then they've got a two hundred and fifty million dollar payroll. And, you know, that's how it's going to be. I, I, I think this is not going to be the offseason that everybody wants in terms of the amount of change that is going to take place. So uh, Sleepy Harold did mention maybe they'll get lucky and AJ hated his time here so much that he'll take that $5 million buy-off and dip uh, into the sunset with another club. I mean, maybe if he doesn't think this team is a playoff contender, maybe that $5 million would make it easier for, because I think he could get a contract that's like $5 million somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, why wouldn't you just take the sure thing, double-digit million-dollar payroll that you're going to get that you've got written into your contract? I mean, did he have such a great season that somebody's going to that they're going to be beating down the door to get AJ Pollock? I mean, he hasn't really been that great this year. But he, but he's value. He has value enough, I think, as a a a left-handed platoon bat only. I mean, he's like a top ten hitter against left-handers. You know, and we've seen like. Before the Sox, he was able to hit right-handers. That was part of like the plus in acquiring him. So I think that he might still have some value um, because I mean, again, it's like it's it's either ten million with the Sox or five, and then you know the bonus of what a team could offer you in in free agency. I mean, usually people don't, as Vinny says, they don't you know just opt out of free money unless they had a really good year. And right. I could see somebody paying him, you know to have the total of $10 million or more uh, from the five he opts out and then five for a deal. But why put yourself through that? Because he's like, oh, roll dice. I am a 30-plus-year-old dude. Maybe I don't play as much on another team. At least there, I know I'm going to play a decent amount. And next year, maybe this team does put it all together. I like the people here, even though we had a shite year. Well, and two, uh, there's also an, a thing where his option escalates $1 million for each 400, 500, 450, 500, 550, and 600 plate appearances in 2022. Um, so after tonight, he's going to be nearing around 500. Um, so the Your money, AJ. the buyout should be probably around $7 million or $8 million, Ooh. if I'm doing my math right. So $8 million there. I mean, he might be able to make up to about like $10 million if they play him enough in the last 12 games um, to get up to around 550. So I don't know. I, I think that Pollock opting out might be a thing that they get lucky. But hearing you talk, the way that you said, like investing into players already, they've already invested money into Aloy. Jose Abreu's contract ends this year, and then they don't really have money invested into Vaughn yet. So that kind of 
just by process of elimination, that would make me think it's kind of a choice between Vaughn and Abreu. Um, how would you guys see that playing out? Would it just be Abreu's choice first, and then they would deal with whatever Abreu d- decides to do off of that? It's what it would seem to me. I think if Jose Abreu is interested in playing in 2023, it's the White Sox should be interested in having him on the team. I mean, I know a lot of people are out there saying, well, He's the odd man out. Too bad. You got to get rid of him. I mean, the guy might lead the American League in hits. You don't want that. You don't want the guy who who is is still a great hitter and would love to play for your team because he loves it here and he loves the organization. Um, you know, it, the, the idea of, oh, well, it's time to move on because we got to get Andrew Vaughn out of the outfield. I mean, okay, say you do that, then you, you, you still have Andrew Vaughn, but you don't have Jose Abreu and the production that he's given you. So, um, I think it would be very difficult for them to to say no to that just because he's been so good, not to mention all the all the off the field stuff that is is a big deal with him. I agree with Vinny. Like it's Jose Abreu's call, and I would like it to be Jose Abreu's call in that regard. Like, hey Jose, you wanna come back? Cool. Which what, what how much money you want to make? Cool. Go ahead. Do your thing. You're a first baseman. And then from there, if you wanna entertain trades with Aloy or Andrew Vaughn, cool, but we know we can't do this again of both of them being options for designated hitter and outfield. So one of them's got to go. One of them's got to stay if Jose Abreu comes back because that is the better option to have Jose Abreu a solidifying force right there, a leader out there, instead of just saying, hey, Jose, go and do something else. We'll have Andrew Vaughn here, and now you've just lost the production of Jose Abreu, and then are you going to get that – elusive right fielder that you've always wanted for the White Sox. That's going to replace the re- the production that Jose Abreu had. And Alex Lord mentions in the comments, Abreu is still Abreu, come on. It's not because of Abreu's production. Like Vinny said, he's probably going to lead the American League in hits. Still, you know, he's not leading the team in home runs. He's got 15, but Vaughn's got 17. I mean, he's not too far behind. Um, he has been the most consistent hitter for the Sox this year. It's nothing with Jose Abreu's play, but again, this window is supposed to be or was promised to be one that was going to be open for a very, very long time. Jose Abreu was not a part of that just because of his age. So I think at this point with his contract being up, this is the cleanest way to just separate. You had to make that tough choice with Mark Burley. You got you let a franchise stalwart walk away. Um, you didn't do that with Pauly, um, but you did that with Frank Thomas. Like I, I just think that now might be the time to do that because Andrew Vaughn cannot play in the outfield anymore. Aloy Jimenez with this injury seemingly cannot play in the outfield anymore. And since you've already locked that player up, you need to protect him as much as you can. So it seems like Aloy will be the DH in 2023. I wouldn't like to see Andrew Vaughn play in the outfield again. So I would you know, think that he'd be the first baseman. It just seems like a very clear point to say, all right, Jose, we now need to focus on the future. Thank you for your time. We'll see you when the jersey retirement ceremony is, you know, once you retire. It's it's nothing Sean. about Jose and, and the player that he is. It's just where the White Sox are. If the White Sox won this division, I, there's, I, I'm not sitting here and saying, Jose Abreu shouldn't be on the White Sox. It's because they didn't win the division. But, Sean, you're arguing that the White Sox are going to be a better team without Jose Abreu, right? No, I, I think obviously I'm, not true. So why are you making yourself worse on purpose? Again, I don't, I don't, he might not, he might say that's it. You know what I mean? He might say right. he's done and that makes it easy for him. But my point being is that if he's like, yeah, I want to play on the White Sox in 2023. Why, if you're the White Sox and you spent the whole year not being able to score runs, would you get rid of the guy who was your most consistent hitter? Why would you let him walk out the door? Because you don't, because you don't want to have a few more errors in the outfield. I mean, that doesn't, that's uh, ser- seriously though. Yeah. I mean, the, in, in the, in the ideal way that this is put together, 
together. And obviously it has not played out that way in 2022 that the, any defensive problems are covered up by offensive success. And you are making yourself a far worse offensive team if you tell Jose Abreu to take a walk. Because Herb said, where are you going to find that production? How are you going to replace that production? You're basically saying that, what, that that A.J. Pollock and Aloy and Andrew Vaughn are going to collectively uh, make up for, for Abreu departing just because they finally are playing the positions they're supposed to? Well, it's, it's not because they're playing the positions they're supposed to. It's hopefully Aloy steps up and becomes the 40 home run hitter that we thought he would be this year regardless. Um, you know, we thought that he would have that power. So, I mean, we're just expecting Aloy to be the player that he was supposed to. This is, you know, this is outside of a, a, a conversation about Jose Abreu. I mean, Aloy Jimenez just hasn't met expectations yet. Andrew Vaughn's a, a top three pick. Like, I mean, he should have higher expectations even than the season that he's had this year. And I think partly the reason his offensive numbers are down is because he's playing out in the outfield, a place that he's not used to. I don't think he's used to running that much. His speed kills him. I think he's trying his best out there, but like he's just not fast enough to be in the outfield. So all I'm saying is I think that you need to start developing the player's for the future core. And I think that playing those players at those spots would help their development. It's not anything about the White Sox would be a better team without Jose Abreu. They will be a worse team without Jose Abreu, but we're not talking about the AL Central champions, the, the 2022 Chicago White Sox. We're talking about the failing 2022 Chicago White Sox. So how do you avoid that failure and how do you grow How do you grow to become a better team and keep that window open? I don't think 36, 36-year-old Jose Abreu needs to be a part of that window and keeping that window open. I think it's mainly keeping him around because he has been a White Sox his whole career. I love Jose Abreu. I think that, again, he sh- his re- jersey should be retired um, You know, at Guaranteed Ray Field. Mm-hmm. But I just think that you need to let that transition happen at some point, and it's a clean point to do it. It's a tough pill to swallow, but they should have fucking won games. Like, hey. I don't know. Like... Right. We shouldn't be having this conversation in September, right? We should be talking about the play, the White Sox in the playoffs, but here we are. CHO White Sox resident Jose Abreu hater, Sean Anderson, playing the role perfectly. <laughs> playing the role perfectly. I would love for Jose Abreu to say, hey, you know what? I love the White Sox time, but you know it's time for me to win a championship, and I don't see it here, and he goes somewhere else. For his own sanity, for our sanity. And I, I think most White Sox fans like, hey, man, we understand that. And that would be cleaner for the White Sox to do that. Now, I don't understand. I don't know how the White Sox would replace the production there. I see people saying right field, second base. How long have the White Sox looked for a second baseman and a right fielder in the free agent market and struck out? I do not trust this front office to get it right. So... Let's just bring back the player that I know is going to be consistent. And now the numbers are not as home run friendly as they usually are, or RBI friendly as they usually are. But I know that Jose Abreu is one thing. He's consistent for most of his career. He's been 30 home runs, 100 driven in. And I think he'll be that for the rest of his White Sox career. So bring him back. Bring Andrew Vaughn back. Bring Aloy back. And then find a way, a team that wants to get Aloy Jimenez, and you are trading them pennies on the dollar. And it's sad, and it's a bad thing. And you know when you trade Aloy Jimenez that eventually he'll figure it out and the injuries will stop and he'll be an all-star. But hopefully you can get somebody back that's going to help your major league team in 2023 and 2024 and beyond because you can't go into next year with the four guys that they have right there with Gavin, uh, Andrew, Jose, and Aloy playing three spots for four men. I mean, hey, see how hard this is? 
See how yeah. hard this is and how yeah. hard this is going to be? I mean, I'm serious. I mean, the, the, the thing that I would counter to what Sean said was when you talk about a window, they're in the window. Yep. Uh, right. And I think that's what's made people so upset about 2022. 2023 is part of that window, too. And to uh, to basically say, like, yeah, we don't need the guy who maybe was our best hitter last year because, you know, reasons. And, and your reasons are not wrong. Your reasons are not wrong. They would be a way um, – better defensive team if Andrew Vaughn could play first base and Aloy Jimenez could play DH every day. They'd be a much better defensive team. Uh, but that, there's two sides of the ball, and, uh, and and I think offense could suffer dramatically if you if you basically say, all right, we're all right with the best hitter on the team taking a walk, uh, you know, and, and that's a shame. Well, my main worry, too, would not only just be like Jose Abreu, losing Jose Abreu, clearly losing one of the best first base bats um, in Major League Baseball, but I mean, Yasmani Grandal, when he signed here, he said, you know, we want to win one for Jose. And we, we hear about, you know, the way Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez, you know, surround themselves. So I also wonder how those players would react to Jose leaving the clubhouse. I mean, it, do, it doesn't seem like an easy decision to make. But again, you have to make the hard decision on one of those players leaving, it feels like. I think like that's the first thing of the White Sox offseason is not a, a Dylan Cease extension because that seems difficult now that he's a Boris client. It's not second base or, or right field because I think that you need to define what this roster is going to look like. And I think you have to figure out whether it's Abreu, Aloy, or Vaughn. And it was described as a multi-year window. I don't think that Jose Abreu helps you in a multi-year viewpoint. Andrew Vaughn and Aloy should, or you at least brought them into this organization to help you in a multi-year window. Jose Abreu was brought here for a completely different window. He was brought here for that 2015-2014 window and even that like early 2019 and 2020 window. That's why they only signed him for three years. Like I, I just think that now would be Sean, the easiest time hit? to move on. Sean, can he still hit? Yeah, it's it's not about his play, Vinny. It's not about his play. It's, well, it is. It has to be. That's the whole point. You're trying to win baseball games. You got to score more runs than the other team. And and for the vast majority of this season, they couldn't do that. They had a really hard time doing that. And the one guy that was hitting was Jose Abreu. And, and if you're saying, ah, oh, he's old, he doesn't belong in the long term future. Okay, then sign him to a one year deal, 2023. And, and let him hit because he can still hit and he can still help you just as much, as, if not better, than everybody else on this roster right now. And to put a cap on my comments about this, I think Jose Abreu wanting to come back to play baseball and the White Sox saying, no, we don't want you anymore is going to be a huge hit for the fans. The fans will not like that at all, even though they think, you know, it would be a cleaner break for everybody involved if he didn't play baseball at all. But if he wants to play baseball next year and the White Sox say, eh, we're good, go somewhere else, I think it'll be very bad for the uh, front office. I think we'll be talking about it on our offseason shows. Like, you can't do that to a White Sox legend, even though they've done that to multiple White Sox legends in Carlton Fisk and uh, Frank Thomas that left unceremoniously here. You don't want to do that for a guy who's going to have a statue back there in the uh, concourse. As he should. Again, this is not a, 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 a statement on Jose Abreu's play yep. this year because he has been the best part of the 2022 year he's still playing every single game he's giving his effort every single day at the park so again it's not about Jose Abreu I'm not trying to hate on him uh just again the White Sox shouldn't be in this position uh and, and it's sad that they are um Vinny there was one question from Clark a little bit earlier um we haven't heard too much from Rickon since the trade deadline I, I do wonder um if you've seen him at the park that's what uh Clark was wondering um has he been around has he has he been visible 
Uh, no, obviously he recently had a COVID infection, yeah. and so he oh, was right. um, spending time getting over that. And I think he might still be staying away for that reason, perhaps. I mean, I know that was a while ago at this point, but um, I have not seen him the last three days during this Cleveland series. And uh, I, I'm guessing the expectation is he would speak before the end of the regular season, but um, that's just a guess. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah, makes sense that he would be staying away for COVID reasons. That's a, the best reason, too. And I think, uh, you know, in our next segment, we're going to talk about White Sox killers on these four uh, teams that the White Sox play in the division. Is there a name of a player that you think about and you start cringing? I know you're not a fan necessarily now, but in your days when you were, is there a name you're like, oh, God, I hear that name and just that guy kills the White Sox? I know you want me to reach in the wayback machine and give me a second. Maybe I will, but certainly you got to think of the guy who's been on the, uh, who's, who's been at third base the last three nights for the guardians, Jose oh, Ramirez, gosh. man. I mean, this is a guy who seemingly has uh, not just put a, an end to like nearly every game the white Sox have played against this Cleveland team, but like literally seasons, like literally <laughs> has driven the nail in the coffin of multiple seasons. It feels like, I mean, to go back to 2020 and think of that, that series at the end of the year that they played in Cleveland, it was just the Jose Ramirez show. And I mean, that guy, he almost caught Abreu for the MVP that year. And it was pretty much based on what he did against, against the White Sox because he was just a force. Certainly there was that, those few years that Nelson Cruz was in Minnesota where every time he'd come, every time he'd come to the South side, he'd hit like two homers a game. Um, you know, uh, certainly the names, um, that, that everybody always lists uh, for, for it to go a little bit back further in time, you know, guys like Ryan Rayburn and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I, I think that you got to look at the stars, uh, uh, guys like Ramirez, guys like uh, uh, Nelson Cruz. What about Corey Kluber? Used to always just, you know, pitch him to death. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys were on Cleveland, no surprise. But uh, hmm. and then maybe kind of some, some sort of like the entire Royals team. Yes. You know what I mean? Maybe, there yes. wasn't really there. You know, I'm sure there were guys who had great numbers against them all the time and stuff like that. But it's just like it didn't matter who it was. As long as they had a KC on the hat, it really seemed like they were somebody was going to do something on a nightly basis to make Kauffman Stadium kind of a house of horrors for the White Sox. I mean, with Stephen Kwan, with Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, Tristan McKenzie, Shane Bieber, like it seems like the Cleveland Guardians right now. Like what the, the Royals were feels like what the Guardians now are, because I mean, Naylor was was the guy that really uh, spawned the whole idea of doing this. Uh, he's been ridiculous. And uh, Jose Ramirez, next home run he hits against the White Sox, it won't be this year, um, he will pass uh, White Sox killer Mike Sweeney uh, for the fifth most home runs against the White Sox since 1994. We had this quiz, uh, most home runs versus the White Sox as an opponent. Do you know it? All time. All time. Oh, my God. I mean... Uh, I'm trying to think of somebody who was in the division forever. Oh, we're thinking uh, all time. All time. And he is an all-time great. Wait, all-time? Like, back in the... All-time. Yeah. Like just all, every... And, stuff? and all Major League history. I guess Babe Ruth? Yes. Babe Ruth. Yeah. <laughs> Babe Ruth hit 98 home runs versus the White Sox. Second all-time is Whoa. Luke Gehrig, his teammate, with 77. He hit 22 more home runs against the White Sox than Luke Gehrig did. You're telling me that nearly a seventh... Of Babe Ruth's career home runs, and there are obviously it's what the third most in history yes. uh, came against the, the White, White Sox. Sox. Wow, that's amazing! Yes. That's 13, amazing. Thirteen point seven percent of his home runs and came against the White Sox. And Babe Ruth's that's career wild. pretty much coincided with the White Sox or Black Sox scandal. Nineteen nineteen, he started playing I think in the early nineteen teens, and then the White Sox didn't win another 
the, or uh, another uh, AL pennant till 59. So that whole period right there of 40 years was pretty much Yankee domination. Ridiculous. Yeah, 1920 was when he became a, a Yankee. Yeah. So it was right after the, the Black Sox year. Then he was, uh, 1935 was his last year. So then, and then you know, DiMaggio and Mantle and all those guys, uh, Barra, uh, dominated them in the 50s. Yeah, ridiculous stuff. But uh, thank you, Vinny, for joining us from Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow for the Tigers game. Will you be there? Yep. All right, cool. We'll talk to you tomorrow then for the Tigers and White Sox marquee matchup on the south side of Chicago. <laughs> Make sure to follow Vinny Duber on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's our CHGO White Sox beat writer. He has two recent pieces up from the Guardian Sox uh, matchup, uh, a recap of last night's game, and it put the White Sox season in great perspective and, and how chasing uh, the Guardians at this point uh, is, is pretty much mute, uh, and it still rings true today as they lost uh, 4-2 to against the Guardians. Thank you, Vinny, for joining us. Good night, guys. Good night. Uh, let's tell you now about points bet. I love telling you about points bet because I won money there tonight. I turned $20 into $42 because the points bet pick of the week is fade the White Sox. Now that I learned I can bet on all the White Sox to not hit a home run, anytime they go up against nondescript right-hander, I will be making that bet. If I can get plus money for the White Sox to not get a hit uh, home run this year for the last 12 games, I will be taking that bet. That's your points bet pick of the year. That's your points bet pick of the week. That's your points bet pick of a lifetime. This 2022 team is uninspiring and stinky. Use promo code CHGO to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. And I just gave you two risk-free bets. So it sounds like you're just going to be winning a hell of a lot of money. All right. Mm -hmm. Fade this team. If you're a new user, use code CHGO. Bet $50 or more uh, when you fade the White Sox and you'll get a yearly CHGO membership where you can uh, read Vinny's work. You have the access to our Discord channel as well, the CHGO Lounge. And you get a free shirt from the CHGO Locker. We have great sock shirts in there. We have great new bear shirts in there. Um, and we have a hell of a lot of designs uh, on the, in that website. So it's a great deal. Check out the Points Bet Pick of the Week by downloading the Points Bet app. If you or somebody who has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner is Chi-Town Cornhole. I appreciate our guy Matt Peck for calling out Chi-Town Cornhole because, again, they are from Chicago. They've been making bags for the Chicagoland and Illinois area area since 2007 and yet they're named shy town cornhole as somebody who loves alliteration i totally get it but bags my friend all right i don't understand this uh what, what's going on i call it bags do you call it bags I barely play the game, but yeah. Okay. So I'm mean, actually we and uh, me and my uh, future brother-in-law dominated out in Denver when we played bags versus the rest of the family. Ah, it was great times. But yeah, look at those things. I'm looking at them right now with the great designs of Shy Town Cornhole's uh, boards they got for us, and they got some custom-made uh, Shy Town Cornhole bags for us. These bags, my friend, they're the most uh, technological, technological advanced ones I've ever seen in my life. And I think the rest of the world calls it cornhole. Yeah, like but, it's like pop for us, right? But Call it pop. You're you're in Chicago. We call it a gym shoe. You're in Chicago. Right? There's a lot of there's a lot of transplants here. Um, but Chi Town Custom Cornhole, the number one cornhole provider for Chicagoland and Illinois since 2007. Their signature box style design can be digitally printed, covered in vinyl, and painted. And their cornhole boards come with built-in drink holders, recessed in on the back, and LED lights that light up the hole. They're very slick. They got a little switch on the inside, and it's a nice actual ring as well. I know some people have lined it with just like an LED tube that looks bad, friends. All right. 
Get your Chi-Town custom cornhole boards because they're durable, they look fantastic, and you can play them day or night. Um, and, and they seem like pretty good boards, right? They, they got a pretty good slick to them. They're not going to be like too slick where bags are just sliding into the hole or sliding off. They got a nice stay, but they can give you a little bit of, you know, if, if you have a good shot, they'll they'll carry for you a little bit. So these are fantastic, fantastic boards. They have handles for easy carrying and handcrafted scorekeepers. So pick these up. They can ship anywhere. They also offer local pickups, and they specialize in corporate designs for your company's next marketing or social uh, event, wedding gifts, and gifts for all occasions. So maybe uh, you know somebody who just became a new homeowner, get them some bags uh, to start off their new housing experience. So check them out at ChitownCornhole.com. You ready for this, Herb? I am ready for this, and I saw, uh, I think it was Duke. Just so we got you, Duke Eaton. Well, one of us got you. What did he say? He was asking about a, a particular player on the rails. Okay. Do you one want to us, start this then? One of us have you. I don't know if that's the order we need to go with. And Steven Herb, put this will, in specific I believe, order. I will believe you will be starting. Okay, I will be starting. This yes. is where we are talking about White Sox killers in, from 1990, since 1994 till this day that we think of of these division foes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll start off with these Cleveland Indians slash Guardians. No? Tigers. Oh, so I start from the bottom up. Okay. Oh, we're doing that way. Okay. The Motor City Kitties. I could have went in two ways right here. Like, my Tiger slash Indian slash Guardian person, they could have been interchanged. Easily interchanged. And so, for the Tigers, I selected... Let's see. I'm making sure. I selected Victor Martinez. Okay. I mean... I didn't know where to put him. Victor Martinez is just... A killer. He killed versus other teams, but there's no team that he hit more home runs versus than the Chicago White Sox. Victor Martinez in his career, he hits, let's see, 32 home runs versus the White Sox. His next highest was just below that with the Minnesota Twins, but he just murdered the White Sox. And if you threw Chris Sale versus uh, Victor Martinez, <laughs> he would still hit Chris Sale really fucking hard. I think it's the most home runs or most uh, hardest hits balls were like uh, Adam Rosales used to hit Chris Sale hard and Victor Martinez. So every time I think about that team, I think about either Victor Martinez or, you know, the guy I'm going to go to next but I think of him more as the Indian slash guardian than I think of as a tiger. But well, when he was a tiger, he used to kick ass too. The other guy people might think of as a tiger would be Miguel Cabrera. And I find this interesting. Victor Martinez and Miguel Cabrera have played the first and second most games against the White Sox. Victor Martinez has played 224 games as both a tiger and guardian. Uh, and then Miguel Cabrera has played 223 games. So one game less uh, than uh, M- Victor Martinez. Victor Martinez, though, this is... Miguel Cabrera, who's in the 3,000 hit club. Yes. Victor Martinez has 258 hits against the White Sox. Miguel Cabrera has 237 in one more game. He has a 323 batting average against the Sox. Miguel Cabrera, 282. Yep. That's insane, my friends. Miguel Cabrera has an OPS against the Sox, 833. Victor Martinez, 894. Yeah. Doing that in 200 games. Yeah. Like more than a full year. That's, that's ridiculous. From the catcher position, that guy should be hated by every single Sox fan because, like you said, he did it in two jerseys. And he was just like, he would talk mad shit to Chris Sale, and he would, like, whatever happened after that, <laughs> home run. 
I was like, stop pitching to Victor Martinez. Stop talking and getting him hyped up because whatever you do, it doesn't matter. He's going to hit home runs versus the White Sox. And he did it every time you get against them. And the numbers are even more impressive than I thought. That was just anecdotally off the top of my brain. I was like, yeah, Victor Martinez used to kill the White oh, Sox. And yeah. when you say those numbers, like, God, he really did. I love Joe R. and Clark saying, V-Mart was an irritating opponent. And then Clark saying, I had to repress Victor Martinez. So now he's going to have bad dreams. Let's go to my tiger here. Uh, I actually don't know who it is, Steven. So just flash it. I, I forgot who I put here. Uh, it was Bobby Higginson. Oh. Bobby Higginson, longtime tiger. I should have realized this. Bobby Higginson, you might be asking, who the hell is Bobby Higginson? Bobby Higginson was drafted by the Tigers in the 12th round in the 1992 draft. And he played... 11 years on the Tigers. He had 187 home runs uh, in his career. But here's the thing. When you go to advanced on fan graphs and you look at weighted runs created plus and you look at all these names and you see all these hitters like Miguel Cabrera and you see Victor Martinez and you see Nelson Cruz, the second guy, the second guy in weighted runs created plus is Bobby fucking Higginson. Bobby Higginson dominated the White Sox. He kicked their ass. He had the highest slugging percentage of his career with any team that he had over, uh, what was this, uh, 400 plate appearances at, at. He almost had a slugging percentage of 500. Bobby Higginson, on his career, his slugging percentage was 455. So he basically raised his slugging percentage by 45 points. Um, he probably would have had a very, 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 very long career if he just played against the White Sox his entire career. So Bobby Higginson is my tiger. Um, he deserves rep because I think his uh, career average way to runs created plus was like 113 against mm -hmm. the White Sox. It was 188. <laughs> so he was like literally like 200. He was like a hundred times better than an average MLB hitter than the White Sox, which is just insane. So uh, shout out to Bobby Higginson. Uh, Royals are up next, Herb. Uh, this Royal played similar amount of games versus the Tigers, the Twins, and the Indians. But, and then the White Sox too. But he had his most home runs versus the White Sox. He had 21 home runs versus the White Sox in his 146 four games versus the White Sox. But, of course, it's Billy Butler. I got you, Duke. Billy Butler just wore the White Sox out. I know he was a good hitter otherwise, but 286, 353, 453 for his career. He just absolutely murdered the White Sox. Anytime you needed a big hit, Billy Butler's going to hit that ball to right field on the ground. It's going to go through quick. And I know Mike Sweeney. He's yeah, Derek uh, puts Mike Sweeney. They're the same type of hitter for me. Uh, Mike Sweeney was a little bit more deadly as a White Sox. And Sal Perez, also a nice Royal that murdered the White Sox and continues to kill them White Sox. I was thinking either Joe Randa or I was going to go to Billy Butler. I went with Billy Butler because every time I see his face, I'm like, ugh. I don't like him. He turned out to be an Oakland A and went out there, and he probably killed the White Sox again when he was an Oakland A, too. Yeah, uh, we had Kevin Wallace on Twitter, at KWallace23, saying Joe Randa. That was a, a name that popped up a lot uh, for the Royals. Uh, Joe Randa kicked the Sox ass throughout his career. I didn't go with that, though. I was going to think Mike Sweeney, but, I mean, so many people just mention him, and Mike Sweeney was fantastic. Yep. You're talking about, like, 200 plate appearances like he was he was a killer against the White Sox he was just doing it so consistently against them and just so often because he was a a you know an American League Central opponent and we were doing this too because of uh the fact that 
the we're going to not see these teams as often as we do. Uh, we're this is the last time we're seeing the Guardians for 19 games in a season. Now the White Sox will be playing every team, uh, you know, all the time. They'll be playing uh, all 30 teams. We're going to see less of the division, um, so we will just see less of these uh, these killers like Josh Naylor and Jose Ramirez. So it's it's a good reason we're doing this. Joe Randa though, 285, 352, 407 slash line versus the White Sox in his career. I'm going to go Carlos Beltran though for, uh. for for my Royal. I think people forget about him because he wasn't there long enough. Mike Sweeney in 283 plate appearances had a weighted runs created plus against the White Sox of 142. Carlos Beltran in 159 plate appearances had a weighted created plus of 148 and had a slugging percentage of 613 versus the White Sox. He must had an OPS as a Royal of 1,000 versus the Sox. He kicked the Sox ass. He was stealing bases. He was hitting home runs. Carlos Beltran was a pain in the ass, and Sox fans should be lucky that they the, the Royals couldn't afford him. The, White, the Royals were way too cheap for Carlos Beltran. That was a magical player, and he got real magical in 2017 when they uh, started banging on trash cans. And I want to say that either in the same game, opening game versus Kansas City at Kansas City, or the opening game, opening series, Carlos Beltran robbed a home run and then hit a walk-off. I think might have been a home run, too. Um, yeah, every time I saw him, I was like, nope, let's not play versus him. Our uh, guy, Brendan McCaffrey, who a former score guy, who's now out there in uh, Sirius XM in uh, New York, is a huge Beltran fan. He thinks he should be a Hall of Famer, and I'm not too far away from thinking that Carlos Beltran has the numbers to be a Hall of Famer. And if he does, it's because the White Sox contribute to that. <laughs> So Carlos Beltran uh, deserves a tip of the cap for being a White Sox killer. Uh, let's go to the next team. Those weird-ass Minnesota Twins. Uh, who you got for Minnesota? Another theme of mine is he has the most home runs he's ever hit versus the White Sox. 22 home runs in 84 games. As Chris Tannehill used to say, he used to put up a blank sheet of paper. It's like He would ask me, Herb, what is this? He's like, I don't know what that is, Chris. He's like... This is the White Sox scouting report for Jason Kubel. Jason Kubel used to absolutely wear the White Sox out while you're worried about Murnau, while you're wor worried about well-played Maurer, while you're worried about Torrey Hunter and all the rest of those uh, piranhas. You would get Jason Kubel out there just hitting the ball everywhere he needed to do. And with his career numbers with the White Sox, while they don't sound impressive, wait until you hear the slugging. 274 was a hitter, 315 for the unbase, 579 slugging percentage versus the White Sox. It is his highest slugging percentage versus a team that he played as many games versus. He had an 894 OPS versus the White Sox in his career. And like I said, 22 home runs was his highest home run total versus any other team. His next highest were versus the Cleveland Indians with 12, and they played the same amount of games. Actually, he played more games versus the Cleveland Indians, and he only had 12 home runs versus them while he had 22 versus the Chicago White Sox. That was a fantastic name. I think people are also going to think probably Maurer or Morneau. Uh, those guys killed the White Sox. Joe Maurer, since 1994, has the most doubles against the White Sox. Um, and I think people think, too, Ryan Rayburn, obviously, as a White Sox killer. Mm -hmm. Ryan Rayburn, you know, a, a guy that you know had nothing really going on, an OPS yep. plus career of 100. Against the White Sox, it was 142, which is uh, fifth all time 158 I'm sorry so his OPS was 158 normally against the White Sox though in 143 plate appearances uh 158 but Bobby Kelty 
exists. Bobby Kilty. Bobby Kilty was a hundred OPS hitter, just like Ryan Rayburn was. But in 193 plate appearance or 90 plate appearances, he had a weighted run career plus of 184. Oof. He had a slugging percentage of 662. That's ridiculous. This guy played seven years in the major leagues. He didn't even make it to 600 games. He was fourth in rookie of the year voting in in, 20, uh, in 2002. But outside of playing the White Sox, this guy had no career highlights. Nothing stood out. He mashed against the White Sox and the White Sox only. When he saw those black and white pinstripes, he got up for that game. He mashed the Sox. Best numbers are against the White Sox. Nine home runs, most career home runs uh, against any single team. Uh, 903 OPS. Uh, he's done better against the Tigers in that that department, but uh, he liked seeing the White Sox, dominated the Sox. So we're going to go Bobby Kelty uh, for, for this one. Was this the guy you hated or was it the, the Guardian guy? It's the Guardian guy. Okay, all right. Let's go to the Guardians here, Herb. I mean... Victor Martinez kind of counts. I mean, we already talked about him. You just talked about him. A <sighs> hundred... Oh, also, real quick, can we go to J.J. Stankovitz real quick before we get off the, oh, yeah. the Twins? Shout out to Lou Ford, uh, who J.J. Stankovitz uh, called out on Twitter, uh, Colts.com writer uh, at J.J. Stankovitz. You might re- remember him from his time uh, in Chicago at NBC Sports Chicago. Um, but Lou Ford, I had no idea about this player. You were like, oh, yeah, Lou Ford. Yeah. Uh, Lou Ford, very interesting. He had a career from 2003 to 2007 with Minnesota, then disappeared then popped up in 2012 and had a game against the White Sox where he had two home runs. Um, so he was always killing the White Sox, whether it was in a Twins uniform, whether it was an Oriole uniform. And hell, he still plays for the Long Island Ducks in the Atlantic League. I still think he could kill the White Sox right now. So shout out to Lou Ford. The player I've named, we've already mentioned a couple times. When I was talking about Victor Martinez, I was saying, could it be this guy be a Victor, be the Tigers representative or could he be the Indians slash Guardians representative? We're going to go Ryan Rayburn. I mean, there is no team, and I mean zero teams, that Ryan Rayburn hit harder than the Chicago White Sox. Well, actually, his Detroit Tigers that he played on, he, when he was a, a guardian, also hit hard versus them. But he hit 20 home runs in his career versus the White Sox. The next closest, just like Jason Kubel, was a 12-home run Kansas City Royals uh, uh, stint that he played versus them. But his career numbers versus the White Sox, 297, 354, and 518 slugging for 872 OPS. There is no person that sends chills down the spine more for more for most White Sox fans than Ryan Rayburn. As we saw the players that we've named, Victor Martinez had a career versus other people. Same thing with... Uh, Billy Butler, and if you say Jason Kubel to a lesser extent, he had a career versus other people. Ryan Rayburn, eight versus the White Sox. He had his most games because he knew, everybody knew, the Guardians people knew, and so did the uh, Tigers people knew. Oh, that's his team. He loves to kill versus the White Sox. We went to a game in Detroit, I think it was 2011-2012, and Detroit fans were booing him because Ryan Rayburn is not a good baseball player otherwise. Us four White Sox fans were like, it's the best player you got in the field. And Miguel Cabrera was right, literally right next right next to him. I was like, Ryan Rayburn, y'all, which, which booing, Ryan Rayburn. <laughs> he played 122 games versus the White Sox. His next closest amount of op- opponent was the 88 he played versus the Minnesota Twins. Jeez. He 
murdered them, and the opponents knew that if he, the White Sox were against Ryan Rayburn, it was time for Ryan Rayburn to eat. I'm going to go a little bit differently than Ryan Rayburn, uh, but I love it. Love the passion, the fire and passion, my friend, from Ryan, from Ryan Rayburn here. Uh, I'm going to go with Ryan Garko. I'm going to go with Ryan's here. Garko. But Ryan Garko. I think people would have thought Travis Hafner. But Holder. I'm going uh, Ryan Garko here, another guy who just had his career days against the White Sox. If you look up Ryan Garko, who he hit the most, Mark Burley leads with 13 most hits. Then John Danks is at eight. Then Javier Vasquez is at eight. Then Brandon McCarthy's there. Then Jose Contreras is there. Um, he just loved facing the Chicago White Sox. So much were his most home runs. Nine of them uh, came against the White Sox. Next most were the Tigers and Rays and Royals at six. So he really loved facing the White Sox. We talked about uh, OP or uh, Wade Runs Created Plus uh, before. I just thought, just saw Ryan Garko's name pop up, and I just was so ecstatic uh, to see Ryan. Ryan Garko be the 10th best hitter for uh, against the White Sox in the AL Central. Uh, Med Rosario up there uh, at 145, but he has the same weighted runs created plus against the White Sox as Med Rosario of 145. Um, he had a 525 slugging percentage against the White Sox, uh, just passed by uh, Josh Naylor, um, who has a weighted runs created plus of 146. So a lot of different options there. Uh, Nelson Cruz, probably the biggest omission uh, that I didn't want to put, but that guy, again, killed a lot of different teams. So yeah. I don't think he was a White Sox killer, but... A 206 way to run created plus gets the White Sox in a Twins uniform. Uh, it says a lot. I hate Ryan Garko. <laughs> I let me take you back to July 17th, 2007. Oh please, I, it, a day that will live in infamy for me. So, as you know, 2007 not a good year for the White Sox. They oh. fell. I mean, it's not as bad as this year. Their record it was, was worse, but we had better expectations this season. Anyway, 2007. There was a particular game on July 17th where I realized that team was not going to be good. There was no coming back from where they were at that season. So what happens is it's a white, it's a back and forth game between the Sox and the Gar uh, Indians at the time. Uh, Sox down early. They rally back. Paul Knurko's on this team. Jim Tomei's on this team. Jermaine Dye's on this team. They add an insurance run. They go up five to three. Yes, there was a time when the White Sox could score five runs. They, hmm. they score, uh, they're up five to three in the ninth inning. After uh, A.J. Brzezinski got hit by a, a pitch of the bases loaded, I'm like, yes, the Sox are going to win because we got Bobby Jenks, who was my favorite closer <laughs> growing, growing up, coming out of the mound in the bottom of the ninth. Trot Nixon singles, and here's Ryan Garko. I say out loud to my parents who I'm, I'm watching the game with, oh, this guy's he's not a problem. He won't hit a home run here. I could not have been more wrong. He hits the home run to tie the game. I turn the game off. I don't even watch extra innings. It, it goes to the 11th. Sox did end up losing that game. I was just done with it. because That was the season for me. That was it right there. All in one swing of Ryan Garkle's fucking bat. I hate that guy. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's, that's why he's on White Sox Killer. And Derek T., when you bring up 2007, I literally think about Andy Gonzalez. That's the only <laughs> player I think about because it encapsulates the whole season. He man got a bunch of at-bats, and he was terrible that year. Andy Gonzalez, that is a great callback. It's like 2007, and I think about that year often. And then I was like, 2007 was terrible. 2010 was terrible. This year, I think, takes the cake out of all those years. Even though those years had worse records, this is a worse year. But Andy Gonzalez, ugh. That's a White Sox killer from inside. You're living in it, friends, because there isn't an Andy Gonzalez on this team. 
Is there? Mm, Lurie's pretty Andy Gonzalez. Lurie's Gonzalez-ish. bad, but it's different. Andy Gonzalez played three years. The White Sox have been like giving Lurie at, b- at bats for like twelve years at yeah, this point. He's been like, Andy Gonzalez a little bit better than Andy Gonzalez for all those twelve years. But, like it's it's different because it's just such a joke. Like the the Lurie thing seems like a bit. You know, like Lurie Khan's just having fun. Like he has a twenty five man roster and Lurie's on the team. Um, Ryan Garko, though, has a punchable face, and he's also the vice president of player development for the Tigers. So, so I'm, I'm anti-Ryan Garko uh, completely. Uh, I did like Mike as well, saying Yonder Alonso was awful for both Cleveland and the White Sox, um, which is true. Consistency. Also, going back to your... But he un- is uh, Manny Ramirez's brother-in-law, though. Manny, Manny Machado's yes. brother-in-law, not Ramirez. Um, we did also had him. I do remember Untouchables, and not for the reason you said it, but because okay. they're from a state that's untouchable. Like Ellie and Ness, and when I looked up the cat cast list and saw Kevin Costner as Elliot Ness, I was like, "Oh, I know that from that Tupac song, Friends." Mm-hmm. Uh, so there you go. Uh, Tupac must have been watching the Unwatchables, and then are uh, <laughs> Untouchables, uh, and then uh, you know wrote that song. Anyways, that's Herb Lawrence. You can follow him on Twitter at Eckenroll twenty three. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Let us know your biggest White Sox killers on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. Thank you to Steven Nicholas for participating and giving us his Ryan Garko story. Uh, and appreciate all of you people hanging out here uh, in the chat. If you do like it, uh, make sure you hit that like button and subscribe. We'll be back here tomorrow at 630 to preview the Guardians and White or the Tigers and White Sox. I don't know who's pitching for the Tigers, and I think it's Lucas Giolito that's pitching Bo for Brisky. the Bo Brisket? I don't know. Oh, okay. I just knew that he was on the team. Someone's pitching for the Tigers, and I think Lucas Giolito's pitching for the White Sox. We'll see you tomorrow.